You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you and thank you that you have not remained hidden from us, but that you have shown yourself to us in the person of Jesus, that we might know your grace and love. Thank you that all of Scripture bears witness to him. And we pray now as we turn to your word that you would illumine the reading and preaching of your word that we might be those who are changed, that we respond to your word of grace with obedience and love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Be seated. Good morning, dear church family. I hope you're warm. The heat is shut down in most of our building today. So, uh, except for those of you in the balcony, it's really hot up there. So if you get cold, just go to the balcony. Um, so yeah, we're really thankful that you're here. As you've heard, this is the last Sunday of the Christian year, Christ the King Sunday. Um, that means next Sunday we'll be celebrating Advent. And so we've ended our Christian year with this little three-week series called The Way of Tove, The Good Way. Uh, the way that Micah speaks about in his famous passage, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. So um, just to uh, recap what we've done, I'm going to read from Micah 6. I'm just going to read verses 6 through 8, and then we'll launch into our message today. So hear God's word as you hear it, Micah 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? No. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. So I think it was about 10 years ago, these two guys, um, Gabe Lyons and David Kinnaman, wrote a really interesting book that got a lot of attention called Unchristian. Unchristian. Gabe Lyons um, is the head of Q, and David Kinnaman is the head of a, a research group called Barna. And they did a very, very extensive set of interviews and research across all these different sectors of people in America. And what they found, what they discovered was that... Uh, Christianity in America, as they put it, has a serious image problem, a serious image problem. They found that especially among young adults ages 16 through 29, um, respect for Christians and respect for the church has dramatically plummeted, Um, that many have lost trust in the church as an institution, um, that many non-Christians feel rejected and judged uh, by Christians, and many see Christians as overly political hypocritical, and mean-spirited. And that perception, unfortunately, has only grown in the last 10 years as headlines have been filled with news of corruption uh, and hypocrisy and even abuse by prominent Christian leaders in prominent churches. And so it's just the case that many people believe that Christians are unchristian. Now, I don't know what you think about that. Whatever you think about those findings whether you think they're justified or not, you have to admit that it does present a serious problem for our communication of the good news of Jesus in our time. 
Um, if many people believe this about Christians and about the church, it, it just presents a serious obstacle to communicating the good news of Jesus Christ. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to end our year with this series and the reason why I think it's so important because it's really my belief as your pastor that in today's world where so many people are disenchanted with our faith and so many people are disenchanted with Christians in the church, that it is vital, absolutely vital, that we as a church prioritize not just preaching the gospel, but embodying it. That we not just be those who talk about Jesus, but we are those who resemble Jesus. So that when people see us, they're not smelling or seeing or getting a sense of something else, but they're seeing, smelling, not a rat from three weeks ago, but they're seeing Jesus. And so that's what this way of Tov is all about, with these famous words Micah is giving God's people a vision for how we could recover a winsome witness to the goodness of God, how we can recover a winsome witness to the, to the goodness of God in the world. So in a world of injustice and oppression, God calls his people to be people of mishpat, justice. Uh, in a world of, of, gosh, bitterness and violence and unforgiveness, God calls his people to be people of chesed, mercy, loving kindness. And today we're looking at how in a world of arrogance and self-centeredness, God calls his people to be those who walk humbly with him. So that's our, that's our focus today as we wrap up this series. And I just want to ask two simple questions today. What does it mean to walk humbly with God? What does that mean? And second, um, how do you do that? So what does it mean to walk humbly with God? And then how do you do it? Are y'all with me? Are y'all warm enough? Everybody warm enough? Okay. Okay, so first, let's just ask, what does that mean? What, is, what does it mean to walk humbly with God? Well, I, I've actually been um, studying this for several weeks now, and I've just been really amazed to see what a dominant theme this is, walking with God, what a dominant theme it is throughout the whole scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. And throughout the Bible, walking with God is essentially a synonym for living your life in deep relationship with your creator. Okay? Walking with God is a synonym for living your life in deep relationship with, with your creator. It begins with Genesis. So think back to Genesis 1 and 2. Um, kids, you probably know that story you've learned about in Sunday school that God creates the world and he pronounces it what? Good, tov, right? Good. And he creates Adam and Eve, man and woman, and he puts them in the garden. And they're not just living with each other, they're living with God. They're actually living in deep communion and relationship with the God who made them. And that is the picture of the good life. Living with God, with each other, in creation. That's the life of Tov, living life with God. But you know what happens, of course. Uh, unfortunately, Adam and Eve choose not to live with God, but they choose to live without God. They take their lives into their own hands. They reject his direction. And Genesis 3 is very interesting. Verse 8, it says this, that Adam and Eve, this is after um, the fall, it says they heard the sound of the Lord God, pay attention to this, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And it says the man, which is the Hebrew word Adam, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So apparently what this suggests is that prior to this moment, Adam and Eve would just go on walks with God in the garden. Can you imagine doing that? 
you know, you, maybe you go on a walk with your spouse or a walk with a friend. Can you imagine just walking with your creator? You're just on a walk with the God of the universe. Apparently, this was a frequent occurrence for Adam and Eve, that they would often walk with God in the cool of the garden. But now we hear, after this act of rebellion, we hear that God is walking alone. That Adam and Eve are nowhere to be found. And they are instead hiding in shame in the bushes. And ultimately, they must leave the garden and condemn to walk alone. And so there's this great tragedy of Genesis 3 is that human beings who were made to walk with God, which is the way of Tov, choose instead to walk without God, which is the way of death. And so it's very striking and quite intentional in Micah chapter 6 when he says this, he has told you man, and this is a very unusual thing that a prophet, instead of addressing Israel, would use the word Adam, Hebrew, and so scholars believe that he is intentionally um, hearkening back to Genesis 3. He has told you, Adam, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to walk humbly with God. He's reminding us of the original sin of Adam, who instead of walking humbly with God, chose to walk pridefully without God. And you could say it like this, that, that God puts before humanity two very stark paths. And one is the way, the good way, the way of tov, the way to life. That is the way that walks humbly with God. And one is the way of folly, the one of rebellion, the one of death. That is walking pridefully without God. And you can actually read the Bible and see the whole history of God's people through the lens of these two ways, right? There are some people who choose to walk with God. We hear that Enoch walks with God in Genesis 5, that Noah walks with God in Genesis 6, that Abraham walks with God in Genesis 15. David, later, we hear, walks with God. So there are some who choose the, the way of Tov, but there are, tragically, overwhelmingly the case, God's people choose the way of death. So we hear king after king in Israel, not walking with God, but instead, quote, walking in the way of the nations. The prophets like Micah and Amos and Ezekiel arise, urging God's people to not walk in the ways of your fathers, to defile yourselves with their idols, Ezekiel 20. Eventually, the darkness of idolatry gets so dark and deep in the Old Testament that it appears that God's people and humanity will never walk with God again. It seems like the story's gonna end really badly, right? The whole vision of the garden is lost. And yet comes this promise. We hear about it at Christmas time often. Isaiah 9, a people walking in darkness, a people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death a light has dawned. And so out of the ruins and the shadows and the darkness comes the Messiah to save. The incarnation, what we're about to begin to celebrate at Christmas time, is the very good news, friends, that though we humans refuse to walk with God, God comes near to walk with us. As Jesus says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Jesus comes to restore fellowship with God so that human beings who are walking alone in the path of darkness towards death, that our life with God is restored forever so that we can walk again with our creator into life. And so we see at the end of the Bible, this amazing vision in Revelation 21, 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with us. He will dwell with us, and by the light of the Lord, the nations will walk. So at the end of all things, it is a return to the beginning, a return to the garden city in which God again walks with us in the way of Toph. So you can see, it's, walking with God is just this amazing, I just told you the story of the whole Bible, right? In like five minutes. And, and this is an amazing theme. And what that says to me is that each of you, and I don't know some of you, but I know most of you, and I just want you to hear me that whoever you are and whatever you've been through and whatever your past and whatever the darkness in your life, hear me, you were made to walk with God. This is the way of joy, the way of life, the way of goodness, the way to freedom. And the heart of the gospel, the heart of the good news is that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose to restore your fellowship with God so that you can walk with your creator now and forever so that you never have to be alone. You never have to face suffering by yourself. You never have to wonder where God is, that you can say like the psalmist, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you walk with me. That's the promise of the gospel, that the original vision for human life is restored. You can walk with God again through Jesus. So that's what it means to walk with God. It means to live your life in deep relationship with your creator, and that's the gift that Jesus died to give you. So that's what it means to walk with God, but what about how? How do we, how do, we do this, right? So I'm just going to give you like a couple of descriptions of what a life walking with God might look like, okay? Um, the first, I think, is that a life walking with God is a life of communion. That just means, communion just means relationship or communication. I think it, it might sound too obvious to say, but walking with God is not the same thing as being religious. Um, the contrast that the Bible makes is not between those who are religious and those who are irreligious, or between the good people and the bad people, the contrast the Bible makes is between those who walk with God and those who don't. Um, the Old Testament, Israel, is full of people who were part of the covenant, who were circumcised, who participated in the temple system, and yet God says of them, you, my people, do not walk with me. You've got really good people, very religious people like the Pharisees, who do not walk with God, then you've got scoundrels and adulterers and murderers like David who walk with God. <laughs> so our categories are busted a little bit, right? And so what does that mean for us? It means that, and I'm just going to speak real bluntly here, um, that you can be a Christian um, in name. You can come to church. You can be baptized. You can participate in the sacraments. You can say the Apostles' Creed. You can believe the vague truths of our faith, and yet you don't walk with God. And that would just be like my pretty blunt question to you is, are you a churchgoer or do you walk with God? Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? Are you one who walks with God? And you might say, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> and that's okay. And I just want to invite you to consider that to truly Walking with God is not the same thing as participating in the formal experience of religion that Jesus himself says in John 17, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only God, 
and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So how do you do that? Well, um, how do you have a relationship with God, to walk with God? Well, like anything else in the Christian life, it's both a gift and a task. So it's a gift because you don't have to earn a relationship with God because Jesus earned it for you. We just said that. Jesus died and rose to give you the gift of fellowship with your creator, right? Your life with God can be restored through Jesus Christ. And so I just want to invite you, and maybe even we can do this later in the service if you want to, after the service, that if you're just realizing, oh my gosh, like I don't walk with God, I just come to church, that you can just invite God to give that to you through Jesus and the power of the Spirit. You could just say, Jesus, um, thank you for dying and rising to give me the gift of fellowship with God forever. I don't want to live my life without you anymore. I want to live the rest of my life with you. It's just simply a gift to receive. But not only is it a gift to receive, um, it's also a task to practice. Like any relationship that you're in, it takes practice to cultivate an intentional relationship with God. Um, I want you to think about your prayer life for a moment. Does your prayer life resemble a relationship or does it resemble an ATM machine? Uh, does it resemble um, you being an ongoing communication and communication with your creator? Or do you just kind of go to God when you're in need of some cash? A metaphorical cash, you know, <laughs> in trouble. Um, if it's the latter, it's okay. I mean, God, Jesus says all the time you can go to the Father for anything. But I just want to encourage you to consider that if that's the only time you ever talk to God when you need something, then you're probably not walking with him. You're not in communion. You're not in relationship. A person who is walking with God is in communion with God all the time, not to get stuff, but because you love him. And you know he loves you, and you're in relationship with him. And so you live in ongoing communication with him all the time. When Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, pray continually, he does not mean just go to church all the time. Thank God, right, kids? Thank God. Um, he means, rather, everything you do, whether you're thinking or living or parenting or exercising or playing or hanging out with your friends, you do it in the presence of and in communication with the God who loves you. One of my heroes in the faith who did this um, is a, a little monk in the 17th century named Brother Lawrence. He wrote a wonderful book called Practicing the Presence of God. There's actually just a recent new translation that's just come out that I commend to you. Um, and Brother Lawrence was not a fancy monk. He was a kitchen monk. So he was not like doing the important things. He was doing the washing up. And yet he found a way to remain in constant conversation and communion with God throughout his entire day. So he wrote that, Time working in the kitchen for me is no different than being in the chapel for prayers because he, he cultivates a habitual, silent, and secret conversation of the soul with God. Now, you may say, well, that's like ninja spirituality, right? I can't do that. Well, not really. It just takes practice like anything else, right? It takes practice to be aware that God is with you all the time and to be attuned to his presence um, and Anne Lamott has a book called Help, Thanks, Wow. She says these are just three little prayers. You could be praying all day long, help, thanks, wow, tuned in to God's presence. Sometimes we teach you how to say, um, hear the praise of this grateful heart. You know, you're just looking for goodness all day long and tuning your heart to God. It takes practice to thank God for good things. It takes practice to ask him for help in hard things. It takes practice to grieve with him in sad things. And it takes practice to be aware of him in all things. 
But this is a life of tuning one's heart to God, living in communion with the God who loves you. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing, I think, is walking humbly with God is a life of dependence. We said earlier that the opposite of walking humbly with God is walking pridefully without God. And I don't think any of us would say we want to live that way. And yet, I do, and you probably do too, because we all carry the spirit of our first parents, Adam and Eve, within us, believing that we can make it on our own and do it on our own and that we don't need God to make life work. To make matters worse, we're told since we're little kids that the goal in life is self-reliance and independence and self-sufficiency and finding all the power and strength you need within yourself. And yet when Jesus talks about what it means to follow him, he talks not about independence, but dependence. He says crazy stuff like, if you want to be in my kingdom... Make yourself like a little child. Little children, and I don't, no offense, kids, but little children can't do much on their own. (laughs) They have to look to their moms and dads for everything. He also says things like, you are not an oak tree standing strong in the field on your own. He says, you're a teeny weeny branch hooked onto a vine drawing all your power from the source. In fact, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Not even a smidge. How offensive. And yet, Jesus says, in his kingdom, paradoxically, the great ones are not the strong and self-sufficient ones, but the dependent ones, the ones who look to him for strength for everything, who draw continuous power from the one who loves them. You know, I have a, it's, it's leaf-blowing time, and I've got an electric leaf blower. It is extremely annoying. Um, because I, all the time I have this 100-foot electric cord that I'm hauling around. And it's always getting hit against the fence and getting wrapped around the tree and getting pulled out of the plug. It's so annoying. And I'm looking enviously at my neighbor who has this big backpack. He's just walking everywhere he wants to. And yet the other day as I was doing this, and um, I was just thinking, you know, this, this actually is a metaphor for the Christian life, that we are not sort of self-contained power sources within ourselves that are able to do life on our own, but that we are those who literally cannot do anything unless we are plugged into the source of our creator, God's love for us. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. And this is why those words were so powerful that we sang earlier in the service, make me like a little child of my strength and wisdom spoiled, walking only in thy light, seeing only in thy might. I might have confused those words a little bit, sorry. <laughs> but this is a life of dependence. And, you know, one thing that you can, see, you can look at um, if you want to really gauge this in your life, there's a lot of ways to audit this in your life, but one of the things to look at that's a struggle for me is anxiety. Who struggles with anxiety in here? Oh, good job, guys, being honest about your anxiety. So I, I, and I want to be careful about saying this because I know there are many of us, including myself, who has needed medicine at times because there's biochemical and neurological things regarding anxiety. But I also know that for some of us, anxiety is a form of pride. For me, anxiety is a form of pride because it is birthed out of the idea that I actually know how my life can run and I have the capacity to control my circumstances to the right ends. And to those who struggle with anxiety in that way, God says, humble yourself. It is a freeing thing to know you are 
you are the little child. And little children have confidence, not in themselves, but in their daddy, their mommy. They have confidence. They, when they face hard things, they don't say, power up because I have the strength. No, they say, I don't know what to do. This doesn't seem to be going the way that I thought it should go. Things seem out of control, but I confess my need. I don't know what to do. I can't say what's best. I don't have the power to fix this. God, help me. Like a little child, I need you. So look at your anxiety. That's probably a good sign of whether you're living a dependent life. The third thing I'd say is walking humbly with God is a life of obedience. Oftentimes in the Bible, um, walking with God is a synonym for obedience. Deuteronomy 13 says, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and obey his voice, keep his commandments. Walking with God means obedience. To walk with God means, yeah, I'm gonna say this, it means giving up your freedom to determine what is right and wrong for yourself. It means surrendering to God's will and way for your life, how your life should be run. This is involved to, in some extent, to every relationship. I remember when I got married, I was 23. I was so dumb. And I, I, I mean, I literally remember like the shocking realization that I had to call Sarah and tell her where I was going. And I remember having this moment of shock, like, oh my gosh, my freedom is gone, right? <laughs> like, I can no longer do what I want to do and go where I want to go. Like, it's, it's, it's a moment of terror, you know, in the, in, the, in the moment. And I think some of you know what I'm talking about. That in, in both sense, to have a healthy marriage, you have to surrender to a loss of your freedom. And some of you are thinking, that's exactly why I'm never getting married. <laughs> but here's the thing. This is the way a good relationship works. To lose your freedom is to gain a different kind of freedom. To lose freedom in one way is to gain the freedom of being in an incredibly loving and trusting relationship, being in the freedom of knowing that you are fully known, being in the freedom of facing everything with another person, right? If you don't want to lose your freedom, then don't fall in love. And yet John says in John 1, if we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And do not live out the truth. So if you say you're a Christian, you say you have fellowship with God, but basically you're living your life the way that you want to live it, living your life in ways that you know are out of step with God's will for your life, then you're lying. It's a farce. Because to be in a love relationship with God means surrendering your freedom. To say to God, you know what, I'm going to let you put your finger on things in my life that I know need to change. I'm going to let you correct things in my life that I know are out of step with your will. And all of that leads ultimately not to slavery, but to freedom and love. So to walk with God means a life of obedience. The last thing I'd say this is a life, walking with God means a life of vulnerable community. John says in 1 John, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. John says, if you walk with God, you look up and realize you're walking with a whole lot of others. That a life of walking with God means walking with others in the Christian community, but it always means walking, recognizing, and telling the truth about your sin and receiving together as a community God's gift of grace. The Christian community is a community of vulnerability and transparency 
where we are honest in naming our sin and reject pretending and performing. This is very hard to do in Christian community. I, uh, I once, Sarah and I had a neighbor years ago, and um, she was a wonderful woman. She's with Jesus now. She loved the Lord. Um, I loved her. She loved me. Uh, she was 80 years old, a widower named Miss Ampy. And um, Miss Ampy one day called me over, and she gave me a five or $10 bill, and she said, um, Corey, I need, you to, I need you to go down to the corner store, buy me a pack of Winston's, because I have a friend coming over who smokes, and she needs them. I said, okay, that's fine. So I went down to the corner store, bought her a pack of cigarettes, came back. And then uh, I didn't think much of it until like a week later, she called me over again and gave me another $10 bill and said, my friend's coming over. I need you to go down and <laughs> buy me a pack of Winston's and come back. And this happened like, and I realized at some point after it happened over and over again that I was just, I was just her tobacco runner. Um, and, and, uh, and that was okay. I mean, I didn't mind, but it did kind of bother me that we weren't being honest because we both knew and loved Jesus and we loved each other. And, and so after literally about 18 months of, um, of buying her cigarettes, one day I just said, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. And so one day she called me over the porch and she told me her friend was coming over and here's some money. I said, Miss um, Ampey, I don't care that you smoke. I don't care. I mean, you're 80. Uh, <laughs> um, can we just stop this pretending like you love Jesus, I love Jesus. We both know we're saved, not by our moral performance and our religion. We're saved by Jesus and his grace alone. Like, let's, we can have an honest and open and transparent relationship. We can be real. And she looked at me and she said, I'll tell that to my friend. <laughs> So I don't know what it is, you know. It's something about being a pastor or something about religion that inoculates us against vulnerability and keeps us believing that we need to hide and pretend. And John says, when you do that in Christian community, you are actually walking in the dark, that you're not walking in the light. Because a community that is walking in the light is a community that names its sin, pain, sorrow, shame, and darkness and then invites together the grace of Jesus to flood it in. And, you know, a lot of the scandals that we've seen in recent years among churches, especially when, it's, when there's abuse, comes because at the heart of the church, there's a culture of performing and pretending and hiding. And when that happens, victims are blamed, abusers are empowered, and truth is suppressed. And so we need to have a culture. We want to foster a culture. And I actually love this about you, Third Family, that I see this again and again, that we are cultivating a community of vulnerability where we can be honest in naming our failure and sin. We can invite the light of Jesus in because in the end, the world is attracted not by self-righteous religious people who are celebrating their moral superiority, but sinners who are naming their need for grace and celebrating the victory of Jesus. That's what the world is attracted to. So to walk with God is a life of vulnerable community. So here we've seen this. The way of Tov is a way of justice, the way of mercy, and the way of walking with God. Let me just say this. I actually wasn't planning to say this, but somebody says something to me before the last service, and I just want to say it. I know, friends, dear brothers and sisters, that it is, it is a difficult time, and it's becoming increasingly difficult to be Christians in America. You know, I know that there are... Um, 
you know, as our culture rapidly secularizes and traditional um, ethical positions that Christians held are becoming um, marginalized, I, I understand that it is becoming a harder and harder place to practice a faithful Christian life. And I also know there are many prominent Christian leaders right now who are calling Christians to power up and pull out the weapons to be ready for the culture war. And I just want to say publicly, I believe they are wrong. I believe they are wrong. And that when the prophetic tradition throughout the Old Testament, we see that in times of turmoil, in times of pain, in times of moral degradation, the prophets point their finger not at the pagan world, but at the church, at the people of God, to repent, to turn from our wicked ways, and to turn back to the God who loves us, that we might model the tov, the way of tov, that we would be people who do justice and who love mercy and who walk humbly with God so that people are attracted. They see the winsome witness of God's people. And we do this courageously, we do this humbly, and we do this boldly as we follow after Jesus together. So I hope we can do that together, church family, because this is the, the good way, the way of Tov. So let, let's, let's pray. And I, you know what? I just want to give you a moment. If you, if you are realizing that, you know what? I'm, I don't walk with God. Um, I show up at church, but... And I say I'm a Christian, but I don't walk with God. Or maybe you did years ago and you have stopped. I just want to give you a moment to speak to him now. And I'll say a prayer in just a moment. And if you want to give your life again to God and to walk with him, I would just invite you to pray this with me. So let's pray. God, I see that I have chosen again and again to live without you. On my own, I realize there is no way back to you. But I look to Jesus who came for me, who lived and died and rose to forgive me, to restore me, to bring me back into fellowship with you. I receive this gift, and I pray that you would give me the power through your spirit to follow the way of Jesus because I don't want to walk alone anymore. With your help, with your power, help me to walk with you now and forever. Amen.